Unilever, Netflix, Tesla and the other car manufacturers, and last but not least, Warren Buffett and Berkshire Hathaway on this week's episode. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of News Entrepreneurs Experience. Uh, my name is Dylan Gallagher. This is one of two podcasts that I host over the course of a week. And um, I'm glad that you were able to tune in today and download this episode. These episodes seem to be getting more exciting for me to do because I get more excited by the feedback when these episodes uh, get published and to hear what people think. Uh, good, bad, otherwise, uh, otherwise rather. Uh, certainly not everyone loves my opinion on everything, uh, which is great because it can make for pretty good conversation. So thanks for tuning in. This is uh, an episode during the week where I take the blog posts from the past week and I blow them up a little bit and I try to um, uh, explain what I was thinking when I pulled the headline down and wrote something about it. Uh, and the reason I do that is because if you're an entrepreneur listening to this, you know that it can be tough to find some, just kind of some practical, real-world advice that you can use uh, immediately, as opposed to some of the other advice that you get that you might find doesn't either relate to you or is just too hard to put into practice, and mostly to, to show entrepreneurs that you're special, but you're not that special, that even big public companies run by people who might have more experience than you, um or are more interesting than you, or have better products or services than you, they still fall victim to the same human behavior mistakes that every leader makes. And so this episode, these episodes rather, news entrepreneurs experience, experience being the key word there, because I'm certain if you're an entrepreneur listening to this running any kind of a business, you're going to be able to relate to one or more of the headlines that I chose to write about over the course of the past week. And so should help you feel good. Uh, Or maybe it'll put a stone in your shoe and annoy you and force you to want to do something different with your business. But nonetheless, that's why I do it. I spend all day talking with entrepreneurs and folks working in small businesses, and I find myself giving examples of real-life scenarios uh, as a way to help them understand the problem that they're facing and what other people have done, uh, other entrepreneurs have done to solve those same problems. And the first headline that I wrote about uh, over a week ago was about Unilever. And it was this idea that uh, Lipton Tea, which is uh, owned by Unilever, uh, might be sold or gotten rid of by this company. Um, Unilever, massive, massive conglomerate organization that has a ton of brands underneath it. And the tea business, Lipton Tea in particular, uh, hasn't really been growing. Growth's not really happening. And Unilever, the, because they're such a, a well-run organization and, and they have a lot of stakeholders that are always watching their performance, they uh, they need to make sure that they're getting leverage out of the people and resources that work underneath their brands. And so anything that's underperforming, while it might be sad to see it go, it just doesn't fit the business plan. And so that got me thinking about um, uh, about entrepreneurs and how you can never, you never really know what's around, uh, the corner. And there's, 
Uh, if you've read any kind of business books, some of the best ones that I like are by um, uh, Taleb, writes the, wrote Black Swan, um, plus um, um, a, whole, a whole bunch of others, actually a whole series. I can't believe I can't think of them right now. Uh, Nassim Tlaib, rather, um, in his big famous book, Black Swan. But the idea is that you, you kind of never really know what's around the corner. And so as an entrepreneur, you've always got to be, I guess you kind of always got to be ready for the thing that uh, that might catch your business off guard. Uh, things like governments making changes to budgets, which Canada, where I live, that seems to be happening all the time. Um, an election, which if you watch what's happening in the U.S., that's obviously kind of a big deal. Actually, the elections are kind of a big deal everywhere, I think. A uh, major competitor being sold, shifts happening with your consumers or your customers and kind of what they're doing. So there's always something to keep you on your toes. But it also gives you... Uh, the opportunity uh, to to maybe reconsider different aspects of your business. And of course, these changes uh, come when you least expect it. And so uh, if there was something to happen in the market right now, if there was something unforeseen to happen in the market right now, what would you do about it? Uh, the reason I got thinking about this with Lipton Tea is because they have kind of some rules for it for anticipating these changes. And they use lack of growth as one of the metrics that they use to make some changes. In this case, a company like Unilever will simply sell their brand. Um, but what does it look like in your business? What do you do if your customers all of a sudden change their behaviors? Or what could possibly happen in the market that would affect your business? And I want to be clear, I don't think that the, these types of questions that you ask yourself are meant to be negative by any stretch of the imagination. And so this isn't like... This isn't me pounding on a drum saying, hey, entrepreneur, stay up late at night and worry about everything that could happen in your business. It's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is that I think it's prudent as an entrepreneur wanting to build a successful, profitable, valuable business that provides meaningful work to people and adds value, quite frankly, in the marketplace by, by solving problems that people have. I think that being prudent with that kind of responsibility is anticipating the things that could happen that could knock you, um, that could knock your business off course. And then just trying to figure out, you know, what would we do? What would we do if there's a budget change in the market? What would we do if all of a sudden our labor force unionized? I mean, I don't know how practical that is for anyone listening to this, but the idea is just to think through it. You know, if you've got, if you have a business that's working right now, uh, small and medium sized businesses are really, really fragile and it doesn't take much to knock that, to knock your business off course. So, um, I just thought, Reading kind of this article and this news announcement about Lipton Tea that as an entrepreneur, certainly if you've been around for a while and you've had a business for a while, you've already experienced unexpected changes and you've kind of always got to be ready to, in my opinion, to capitalize on those changes because that's when the real money is made. Real money isn't made when everything's going really well. Real money is made when you can take advantages uh, that other people aren't seeing, that your that your business is seeing, that other people aren't seeing, and you can quickly... Um, you can quickly respond to those changes and then your your bottom line ends up benefiting for the foresight that you and your organization had. So that was the first article I pulled down. Uh, the second article I pulled down was in, uh, titled How Keeping Things Simple Can Help Your Sales. And this was about uh, the good old Netflix. You just got to love, gotta, man, you got to love that business. And uh, the idea there was uh, Netflix, for some reason... Netflix seems to continue to be a formidable competitor against Amazon, Disney, Hulu, kind of the other 
uh, online streaming companies that are um, streaming entertainment into people's devices, into their homes, onto their cell phones, etc. But somehow Netflix has been able to continue to increase their subscriber uh, base. And without being, you know, really nerdy or technical about it, um, it seems that Netflix's strategy has been to just simply put out a massive amount of content. And by virtue of just being the largest content producer in the marketplace, uh, they end up becoming the default option for individuals that, that, that are looking for uh, online uh, video entertainment. And the other companies, they kind of have to try and keep pace. And so some of the other companies might release content. They might just re-release old content. But Netflix is actually creating original content, and their strategy has just been really simple. Let's, by brute force, just go and overtake the market with content, because that's what people are paying for. So let's just simply be the biggest provider of content. And it got me thinking that as entrepreneurs, and for me, I can fall victim to this because of how my brain works, and I like Excel spreadsheets, and I build databases, and I write code, and all that other kind of stuff. So my brain tends to work in in uh, taking something simple and, and maybe making it a little bit more complicated than it can be. And I just got thinking, because I'd been meeting with an entrepreneur, and you could just see this entre- poor entrepreneur was, uh, you know, they just didn't have any wind in their sail anymore. And they're just like, you know, got all these strategies, got all these tactics, it's blah, 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 blah. And it, I just want something simple. And then I happened to be reading about what Netflix had been doing, uh, what their strategy was to take over the market, and just got me thinking, you know, sometimes just keeping it simple, that's what it can be about. You know, Netflix isn't doing anything complicated. I mean, producing original content, that's complicated. That's really hard. you got to get writers and producers and movie actors and so on and so forth. But I think of that more like the tactics, the more like the details. The strategy is just simply be the largest provider of content in the marketplace. And by virtue of you being the largest provider of content, you just you just simply get the subscribers and you, and you win, you win the battle and maybe win the war. I don't know. Um, but sometimes just keeping your strategy simple like that is the best way to ensure that you can execute. Cause maybe, maybe as an entrepreneur, you get stuck in analysis paralysis, which is what, what I have to constantly be reminding myself about is like, look, it is actually about getting out there and executing plans are great. Intentions are great. Ideas are great. Talking out loud is great, but at some point rubber's got to hit the road. And if it's too complicated, it becomes discouraging because you don't see results quickly enough. So sometimes starting out with something simple, something achievable, getting a win under your belt can really add some wind to your sail and then give you what you need in order to keep going and maybe add a little bit more com- complexion, complexion, more complication into what it is you're, you're doing. And as I wrote in my blog post, complication may seem good in theory, but in practice, it can be an unnecessary use of time and resources. And so what would, what's kind of one thing you could simplify in your business today that is guaranteed to get you better results? And one of the examples I think of is in a business I'm involved in, we simply decided to track our marketing efforts, not our sales efforts. Uh, and we d- differentiated the two by marketing is a is a uh, let the market know you exist exercise and create awareness for uh, the brand of our business. And then sales is more of an individual one-on-one exercise where you're relationship building. And so just one of the very, one of the very first things we have decided to simplify is to um, come up with some simple marketing 
come up with some very simple strategies that we can execute on every single day to build awareness in the marketplace. And on the back of those victories, we will look to now move into sales and kind of move the move our way through the rest of the things that we want to do. So what is it for, for your business? Could Could keeping something simple in your business or revisiting something that's gotten complicated. Um, oh, I can think of another example. Um, in a business that, that again, that I'm involved with, we um, had a job, a job posting that was kind of tried and true. You know, we post it, we get some resumes. And because my head was in this trying to, you know, keep things simple space, um, we just revisited, I, I revisited this ad. I took out all the language that really wouldn't mean anything to the kind of person that we're looking to hire and simplified it. And within 30 minutes had, I think like 30, 20, 30, 35 resumes just jump into, um, into our recruitment system, which was great. So again, just, you know, not a huge deal getting a bunch of resumes, not a massive victory, but you know what, when, when you're looking for easy wins and you're looking to put some win back in your sale, keeping things simple oftentimes is the best way to do that. So what does that mean for your business? Okay, what else did I have here? Oh, yeah, of course. What would a podcast episode be about news? Entrepreneur's experience if you're not talking about Tesla. And uh, the title of the blog post was, Who's Better Than Your Business? I was reading this article and it talked about how, you know, Tesla's been out for like a decade, right? They've basically created demand for um, an electric vehicle that the marketplace just hasn't seen before. But they've been doing it for a decade. It's not like they woke up yesterday and they just started doing it. And all of the traditional car companies that spend more money than Tesla does on marketing, more money than Tesla does on manufacturing, I think, um, they haven't really been able to catch up with Tesla. I think of that Tesla truck as as almost the perfect example. You know, Tesla got a lot of blowback for um, the design of the truck, but it, but from what I understand, it wasn't really a mistake. What what Tesla's approach was was look, you know, the Ford F one fifty or the Chev Silverado or whatever the traditional pickup trucks they already exist in the minds of existing customers that buy pickup trucks. We want to create something that is so different from the existing pickup trucks that we're going to find a new market of um, customers that, given the current market, they'd never buy a Ford F-150, but given our truck, they would buy that. So Tesla like found this whole new group of customers, and that seems to have been their strategy all along. They've just found new markets and new customers, and these traditional companies haven't been able to catch up with them. And so not to, to dwell on Tesla, but that sort of paints the context for what I wrote about, which was you might know who your competitors are, and you might be able to identify them by name, but can you identify in what they're doing, in what their business is? Can you identify something that they definitely do better than your business? And we don't often or in my experience, rather, I don't often hear entrepreneurs talk a lot about that. A lot of times entrepreneurs can say, we know who this competitor is, we hate that guy, or we don't like that business, or oh, those guys are terrible. So it's pretty easy to like knock the competition. But I rarely hear an entrepreneur go, you know, those guys, yeah, they're actually pretty good. They're better than us. Um, Maybe they're not better than us, but they're better at this thing. Or they are better than us because they're better at this thing that they do. And have you ever thought about how you could do a better job of, of that one thing? And you know, on the background of these car manufacturers, they've had plenty of opportunity to observe Tesla, watch what they're doing, 
try to compete with Tesla for that same customer and, you know, hands down just haven't been successful. But I think there's a lesson there for every other entrepreneur, you know, the ability to look at your competitor and understand where they're able to do a better job servicing your, you know, servicing arguably your customer than you can provides you with an opportunity or some new ideas or maybe some new goals uh, that you can work towards. I mean, it's one thing to know who your competitors are, but it's another thing to know what they're really good at and how you can be better uh, than they are at that same thing. And so oftentimes this means parking your ego, checking your ego. Uh, Maybe it's just being uh, humble or being honest for even just like five minutes, because we all know that entrepreneurs, they just, we all just need to have that enormous amount of self, uh, self-belief. But um, if you can park that just for a minute and be honest about what your competitors do better than you, is there something in that thinking that you could bring into your business and focus on and simply decide to be the best of it? Notice I use the word simply a lot. I got to Got to read more books and change up my vernacular, I think. <laughs> anyway, um, walking away from this podcast episode, if you, if you put down your earbuds or turned off, um, turned off your speakers, uh, what, could, what is one thing you could write down right now that your competitor does better than your business does? And what would it take to be better than they are at that same thing? And in the course of kind of thinking through that, you may be able to shore up some of your weaknesses um, and of course, add some profit to your bottom line in the process. The last blog post that I'm going to talk a little bit about is Warren Buffett and Berkshire Hathaway. Like, how can you not absolutely love love that company? Oh, man, Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger, those guys are, you know, I, I, I mean... They're from another planet. Maybe they came from the same planet that Elon Musk came from. I don't know. But they if you don't know who Berkshire Hathaway is, big investment company, they own a stake in tons and tons of companies. They're sitting on a gazillion dollars worth of cash because they simply have made so much money from the investments that they make. But every year, they uh, Warren Buffett, who's the chairman of the board, he writes an annual letter to shareholders and just you know, talks kind of like, oh, gee, shucks. (laughs) That's kind of his personality. But there was this one sentence in the letter to shareholders that really got me thinking about kind of just the everyday entrepreneur trying to run a business. And it was the sentence that um, one of their policies, one of their disciplines, kind of one of their golden rules is that um, they're looking to take the profits that they make from their investments and they reinvested in productive operational assets. And that's kind of their very, very top priority is reinvesting in productive assets. Now, as an entrepreneur, the the assets that you and I have access to include people and resources. And ultimately, it's people. For most small and medium-sized businesses, it's people. And um, what people give to our businesses every day is their time. And so if you thought about time uh, as money, as real, real money, and you thought of how am I reinvesting every single day, my team shows up and they make time available to me, the entrepreneur, in my organization, because my job is to make sure that I can organize these people and these resources in such a way that we can produce um, value to the marketplace, solve problems, and make some money in the course of doing that. So if every day I'm reinvesting time, would that change what I invest in? And it may seem, uh, that may seem um, 
unimportant. That may not seem like an important question, but if you literally, if imagine if, imagine if every day that you walked into your business, you 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 had to physically give everybody money for the job that they are doing. Like you just you had some crisp bills, no e transfers. Like it, to to prove the point, you'd have to do it with real real money in your hands. You have to give it to people, but you'd have to give it to them in exchange for the work that they're doing. If you had to do that every day, would you maybe change what some of them are doing or what some of them are spending their time on? How would you be reinvesting your quote-unquote profits if you looked at time as profit? Would you be doing the same thing every day? Would you be more selective? Would you look to be more efficient? Um, It was brought to my attention, this particular idea, because I'm in a business right now that doesn't have... Uh, ample resources. I'm a partner in a business that is uh, in the in uh, is in the midst of turning themselves around, and because of that, we just don't have cash lying around. We don't have a ton of resources. The resources that we have, we have to make good use of. But it, it's the most important resource we have right now is the time that our team makes available to get the result that we need. And so, all of the sudden. You know, everyone always has a list of things to do, myself included, right? But we all know, if we're honest, that not everything on the on that list is really important and really adds value to uh, the business. And so using this idea of if every day I'm charged with investing the time of our team into meaningful activities that are productive and produce a result... How does that change my management style? How does that change my leadership style? How does that change the result that I'm looking for every day? But more importantly, how does that change how our team views what they're doing? And so um, your productive activities, however you, you define that right now, you should make a list, like you should have a list of, here are the top five things we would do every single day. If if we could only invest in five activities in our business because we don't have unlimited time and resources, what would those five things be or the three things, whatever it is? But even asking that question can be challenging because you might say, well, we just have to do all sorts of things. We have to do this and we have to do this. You're right, you're right. But what are the most productive things? Because not everything is productive. And by you know, just creating a list with, with a line down the center of a sheet of paper and saying productive activities, unproductive activities, what would show up on the productive side? Because... Once you figure that out, then you can develop a priority list of what your team should be doing every day. What And ultimately what that means is here's what your business should be doing every day. And depending on where your business is in its life cycle, whether it's at the bottom of a trough, whether it's at the top of a, of a, of a mountain, it's going, your priorities as an organization should change. As an entrepreneur, you should have a different focus for the stage that your business is in. Knowing what the productive activities are should guide how you lead your team every single day. And ultimately, that should start to not start, that should produce a better result on your bottom line compared to just letting every day unfold, uh, giving everyone money for the job that they're doing, but not really knowing which jobs are the most productive ones that are producing the most meaningful results. So, um, I just as I went through Berkshire Hathaway's. Um, Hathaway's list, it just occurred to me that this idea of reinvestment in productive operational assets being a top priority for their business got me thinking about entrepreneurs and how oftentimes we can't articulate what the most productive activities are. Or if we can, we can like say it out loud, but we don't manage our businesses uh, in that particular way. And that's just because we're trying to stay afloat, right? You're trying to make it from one day to the next. You don't have a lot of excess funds or a lot of excess people on your team, or hopefully you don't because you won't be in business for very long. So, you know, if you can 
get your head around this concept of being prudent with the time that your team makes available to you and then the resources that your business has, what are the most productive activities that you can be doing? Because for sure, there are unproductive things that you're doing right now that you you could be getting a better a better benefit from the time being spent if it was redirected um, somewhere else. And so um, I'm kind of passionate about this because this does speak to my nerdiness, but for the entrepreneur that's looking for some quick takeaways, I would say if you don't carry around a list of the top three things that your business must absolutely do every single day um, in order to uh, address the stage that it's in right now, then you're not you're probably not making as much money as you can and you're probably not producing the best result that you can. And guess what? That's on you. You certainly can do it. Sometimes you just need a poke um, to get it done. So that's all I've got for you today. That's the end of this episode. I appreciate you tuning in. I hope that you found some value out of this. And uh, again, I'm going to be eager to see... (laughs) I'm going to be here to see the comments that that come once this go, gets posted and goes live, which I just appreciate so much. Thank you for um, the folks out there that do say something um, that end up asking questions because that means that there was something that they heard that got them thinking. And um, if you did, rate it, share it, do something with this episode because then it finds its way uh, into the podcast uh, queue of other people that might benefit from what was said here today. And if you don't do any of those things, that's cool. But, but uh, maybe you'll make sure to check in again next week. So thanks for tuning in and look forward to watching you download the next one.